It's all about kicking back, relaxing, and enjoying the show. Take the time out of your day to listen to new music and the new sound of radio. Tune in every day, all day, for the greatest hits, latest news, and community events that you can be a part of. MoncoRadio.com, where music and minds meet. Hi, honey. Oh, hi, honey. How did your meeting go? My meeting went great. I'll be home in a couple of hours. I can't wait to see you. I hope you're ready for Valentine's Day. I have a special dinner planned, the fireplace is lit, and I'll be wearing that outfit you like. Sounds perfect. And guess what? I just downloaded the latest edition of The Kiss Room, just for you. Oh, you are the best. I can't wait to curl up by the fire and listen. Well, you wanted the best, and you got it. That's right, Kiss Army. You one of the best. You got it. I'm Matt Porter, and we are live in the Kiss Room. I got a room full of awesome people. Now, look, everybody was here for Harem for the last two hours. Boy, we had a good time. It was an amazing, amazing tribute to Alex Richter. We have Alex's mom, Jerry, here with yeah! us. We have Peter Arquette. We have Kim Snowden, David Snowden, Jerry Lee Watkins, Bobby Dreyer. And I want to start off just real quick. Um, if you were listening to Harem or if you go back and listen to the podcast, there were so many great stories. But I just want, um, David, share the story how you originally met Alex because it ties into Vinnie Vincent. So it's part of our Kiss story. Well, it also ties into that uh, Jerry's going to put his ashes into an Alice Cooper bag. Right? <laughs> Vinnie Vincent's band was on tour with Alice Cooper in uh, 1986, and it was November 14th. And pulled up on the tour bus with the band, and I said to Vinnie, there was uh, some fat kid that was sitting, standing outside in the cold, holding up a sign that said, Vinnie Vincent is God. Vinnie didn't want to get off the bus to sign anything because it was cold outside, so I went off, introduced myself, I said, you know, I'm David Snowden. And he said, yeah, he goes, I'm Alex Richter. I'm number 184 of the Vinnie Vincent Invasion <laughs> fan club. <laughs> so I explained to him that just wait a couple minutes and then the band would come off. They were going to go backstage and then we'd take them backstage. And then he got to meet uh, Vinnie and Mark, Dana and Bobby. And after that, he and I became really good friends. Fantastic. I mean, we just spent two hours with Harem Podcast. If you want to go back and listen to it, it was amazing. It's going to be amazing. Bobby, that really was a great show. You guys planned out something really nice. Oh. You know, it really, uh, that was really special. And I think, you know, we'll let that do uh, all the talking. Jerry, any, if, can you get to that mic? Any last words we want to say? We're here at the start of the Kiss Room, but if ever, for everybody to just listen to Harem, you know, uh, any, any last words we want to send out? Alex Richter, our good friend. I was actually kind of very pleased to find out, I mean, in some ways shocked that his final interview that he did was Bobby Rock here in the Kiss Room. And that really means a lot to me, you know, and the, and the fact that what you had said about that Bobby was thrilled that people can go back and listen to it. And, it, you know, it's available. It was the July 2007, uh, 2018 Kiss Room. Yeah, I can't even remember anymore. It was recently, really recently. So, yeah. yeah, it was great. Yeah, no. It was the summer. I know, I can't yeah, remember no. anything. But the yes, yes, Paul Stanley can't remember what song came from what album. I can't remember which episode of The Kiss Room I did. So it's just really, you know. Anything you want to say? I want to thank everyone that wrote on his fan page 
on his Facebook. The tributes have been just out of this world. I've cried at a lot of them. And today's a good day. Today I haven't cried. And these guys here have helped a lot. Thank so you, Jerry. Thank you. We've had a lot of fun today. It was really, and that's, I think, what it's all about. I and mean, we were talking about all the most fun things. We got a lot of good people in here. And while I got this kind of whole panel of people, obviously the thing that everybody's thinking about as far as KISS is the end of the road. We've seen the start of the tour, the end of the road. So it's like, what are your first takes? I mean, who watched it on YouTube? Who watched it on Facebook? I watched the entire opening night on Facebook Live. You know, so there'll be no spoilers when I get to uh, see him in Philly. But what do you think? Did you get to see the uh, the stage, the tour? What do you think? I, I, I've seen the stage, but I, I kind of didn't want to look because it, it's kind of like going into the haunted house and then somebody going, oh, dude, don't go around that wall because it's going to be. Uh, no, shut up. Well, the parking lots, that's the haunted house. <laughs> That's only because we're trying to fit into that spandex. <laughs> but no, I, I really didn't watch a lot of it. I don't want to know the set list. I, I don't really, you know, I know it's there. I could probably see it. But I, I don't want to, you know, fine. I'm listening to more of the serious radio lately. That's serious radio? Loving oh, that's that. great. Yep. Loving every minute of that because they're playing stuff that I haven't. I'm like, wow, you're pulling that one out. So, uh, the only deeper cuts come here in the kiss room on Mako Radio. We're using my seat, but it's great, you know. It, I'm having a blast, you know. It's uh, it is what it is. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun year. Let's just see what happens. Absolutely, David. What do you think? Did you get a chance to see any of the new stage or see any of the tour? Yeah, Kim and I watched a little bit of it, uh, from YouTube and saw some of the stuff. I mean, I think I was more excited seeing Eric Singer with the uh, grand piano coming <laughs> up out of the stage. And sitting there singing Beth, I thought that was really cool. La, 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 See, la, now la, my, take on, my take on that is if you notice, I think that that is them paying tribute to the Paul Lynn Halloween special. Oh, absolutely. Because if you notice at the end, Gene comes out, puts his hand on Eric's shoulder. I think that's what, now it should be Peter. And hopefully if Peter Chris is listening, of course he's listening to the Kiss Room, that's what should happen in Philadelphia. They don't even got to rehearse it. They could play that background track and Peter needs to come out and sing it. And if he's listening, he's got to do that for us in Philly. Now, I know you're going to ask me my opinion. Of course. You know my yeah, you know my history, right? <laughs> so I've never seen a Kiss show, only on television, never been there live. So, but it's, I'm, I'm, I know that it's their end of the road, right? So I'm hoping that I can actually go to one now. Yeah, so, but, this is it. I mean, I've just come into liking Kiss and enjoying <laughs> Kiss, like besides them being monsters in my life, Matt. So I'm hoping, but if not... I'm interested to see actually where it does go. Well, it's funny that for some people, the end of the road is the start of the road. There's people that this is their first time seeing the band. It's amazing. Right. You know, you talk to people online that are taking their kids that have never seen them. And you're talking to people online that have never gone to a show. So this is it. So you need to go. Right. But it'll be interesting to see, like, if this is really, and as they're aging, where will Kiss go from here? Because there are tribute bands. I mean, I know there still are a lot of tribute bands. So what is it going to evolve into? Because I don't believe this is the end. Well, Obviously I think it's the not. end of touring. Definitely the end of touring. I see a Cirque du Soleil. But there will be definitely there. I think I see residency stuff. I see, you know, the crews continuing. You know, absolutely. Peter Arquette from Kiss Asylum, the number one Kiss website. How are you, pal? Doing well. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad you could come back. Now, look, what do you think? Starting at the end of the road. Well, I'm with, uh, I'm sorry. Bobby. Bobby. I'm with Bobby. It's like, you know, I saw a couple of clips. I didn't really want to see exactly what stuff looked like. Right. I took a peek, but, you know, I want to be surprised. I'm going out to see him in Vegas and L.A. Uh, that's coming up. 
Uh, less, what's less that, next week, week, right? Yeah, less than yeah. a week now. Uh, you know, just uh, some friends invited me out. And that, that's what it's all about is going to these shows and meeting up with your friends. And You know, you need to meet up. Out. The Podcast Rock City guys are going to have a big meet and greet where they're going to play miniature golf. Find out. Oh, talk yeah? to Joe Polo. Okay. They got the whole thing hooked up. It's going to be a shout out to those guys, Podcast Rock City. They are inviting all a bunch of listeners. They're going to have a ton of people at the mini golf before the show. Connect with those guys. Joe Polo, oh, okay. Jody Hamlin, uh, yeah, they're great. I had no idea he was going to be out there. Yeah, Brent, I, know, I yeah. know Joe well. They're all headed out to Vegas. Pooney. No, Peter, i, I got to ask this question. Are you doing the strip show? <laughs> What's the strip show? The L.A. show on uh, Sunset Strip. At the Whiskey. Well, at the Whiskey. Serious only. I, Monday night? You know, I, I don't know. You know, I, I go out and things happen or they don't, really. That's, um, I mean, I don't actually have tickets. I have a plane ticket out there. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, as far as tickets and where I'm going to sit, what shows I'm going to see, uh, that just happens. And I don't worry about it too much. I'm the same I way. like that. Everything always works out in the end. <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, speaking of that, coming up around 3.30, we have Todd Howarth calling in from Return of the Comet. You know him from Fraley's Comet, so we're going to keep our eye on the clock, but he's going to call in around 3.30. So we've got something else coming up, too. But, the uh, yeah, a lot of excitement happening, really, for KISS. I mean, obviously, when you think about it, the end of the road started. Everybody's watching that. You got, uh, you know, Vinny canceled his shows. Any thoughts on that? You've worked with Vinny in the past. I'm sure you can share some, share some good Vinny stories. Um, I've worked with Vinny on a couple of projects. They've all been positive, and they've all worked out for me. And, um, you know, there's people, other people had other stories. I've never had any problems. He's nothing but, no, nothing but nice to me. Um, I've done autograph sessions. I've had him at my convention in Florida way back in the day. Um, as far as canceling the show, you know, Vinny's just a dynamic person. He's... He... Maybe he cut off more than he gets you. I, I don't know. But at least he did try, and he's, he's, he, he tried to make it work, and it didn't. I, you know, again, I don't know the um, – I'm not that close to him. I don't know the details. Only he knows. But, you know, it is a shame. It would have been exciting to, to see him play again a full show. So after they canceled those shows in Nashville, do you think we're going to get more shows? What do you think? Or is that it? You never know. I you mean, never know. You never know. With these guys, it's like, just think how many thing, outrageous things, not just Vinny, but the whole band, just things you'd never thought they'd do, they do. So it's you just can't tell. It's, what do you think, David? You've worked with them. Do you think we're going to see another show? Is it going to happen? You never know. I mean, whoever <laughs> thought that he was going to come out of retirement or right. hiding after 20 years. <laughs> so anything can happen. Anything can happen. It seems to be the consensus. Anything can happen and you never know. That seems to be the nutshell for Vinny Vincent right now. <laughs> But yeah, so that was exciting. That happened. Obviously, then back and forth. Everybody probably saw it on Facebook, the, the back and forth between supposedly Ace and Gene and Paul. And kind of makes me think we're not going to see any Ace on this tour at all, which is unfortunate, I think, as a fan. You know, any thoughts on that? Everybody saw that kind of go down on social media. It's the way things work in the, you know, the year 2019. I, I got a feeling on that one, it was a little staged. There, there was a little bit of staging. Um, Maybe ticket sales were slow in certain cities. You know, anybody will do anything to, uh, you know, do anything to spark. But does a blowout like that spark anybody buy a ticket? Because especially if you were one of those people waiting for Ace to come back. Boy, it sure doesn't look like it's going to happen now. At all. It's still Gene's old band. You know? <laughs> There's a relationship there. So 
You know, those vault things seem to work out pretty well. You know, they seem to get along <laughs> during the vault, but they just don't seem to be able to get together as far as, you know, and the set list looks like it's been pretty much the same every night. So they're doing a pretty calculated show. You know, maybe it doesn't add a lot of spontaneity. I don't know. To bring somebody on stage. Oh, in the 80s, Ace always had things to say about Kiss. Kiss always had things to say about him and Peter. Who would have thought we would have, you know, we're going to have a reunion tour. Right. So again, anything can happen. You know, people have arguments. You get over it eventually. Boy, I hope so. <laughs> by by the end of March, March 29th, Philly, that's when I'm going to see them. They better all kiss and make up by then. Right? You're going to be oh, there, right? Oh, I'm there. I'm looking at two other shows, too. So nice. Hershey. Yeah, that'd be good. Definitely, that's the end of the summer. But I'm waiting on weather on that one. You well, know? end of the summer, we're also thinking there's going to be Rock and Pod 3. We're thinking of Rock and Pod 3 going to Nashville for that. That'll be August as well. I'm not sure the date yet. Chris Sinzak will have to tell us. We're going to meet all of our good friends at that. So, Let's just keep it going. Let's just have fun. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, that's all it's about. You know, I keep looking at that stuff, and you know, we can all hold shirts. Uh, you know, it signs up. Vinny is God. <laughs> exactly. And I'm number one eighty four. That's going to get you a lot of love. <laughs> uh, if he comes around, I'm holding that up just for Alex. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. I asked everybody in the Kiss Room what was their favorite song right now on the end of the road, and they said what an easy one, and we're going to listen to that right now.
sounds awesome. Great to hear that. We're in a little bit of love gun for the end of the road here in the Kiss Room. Peter Arquette joining us now. Now, we were talking about this kind of online, and, and you said you come down. I said, you got to share this story. So you have a great story of when you were touring around with Ken Sharp. He's writing his book. Give us some inside info on that. I've been meaning to tell this story for a while. I've been doing podcasts uh, for a while, ever since I've, you know, uh, started up the New Jersey Kiss Expo again. Uh, it's been six or seven years ago. Um, I've uh, just, you know, stories that I've forgotten about I've come <laughs> up with. And one of them I haven't really talked about in years and years is when um, back in the early 90s, mid-90s, um, I guess it was 93, 94, Ken Sharp was writing a book and of interviews and he wanted to interview everybody about KISS. And then remember, this is before reunion tours. This is when KISS was kind of just for the diehards. Um, they weren't really in the public eye that much anymore. But we all were just as excited as we ever would be. Now, his interviews eventually became the history book. They were, history was supposed to be just basically um, a text at first. Because that's just what Ken's into. He's into the information, the text, the interviews, what people have to say. And uh, Kiss bought it, and they decided to turn it into more of a picture book. And they chopped up his interviews, which he wasn't too happy about. Mm. But Ken hates to drive. And I lived in, hell, I lived in Virginia then. But he, 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 I was basically his driver um, for these interviews. Now, these interviews, Ken was a little bit, a few years older than I'm a few years older than your average fan. I'm 55. Your average fan's 50, 51 now. Ken's a few years older than me. So, I mean, back then, he was like, I think, 31. That was like, oh, my God, 31. <laughs> and, but he's a little more experienced, and he knows more about the industry. And he's the one who found um, the guys from Wicked Lester. Like, back then, we'd talk about Wicked Lester, but nobody knew where to find them. He just went to ASCAP and looked up their records. He, you know, duh, he... He just knew how to do something simple like that. <laughs> so we interviewed the guys from, uh, you know, over a period of several months, we interviewed the guys from Wicked Lester, um, Billy Miller, their tour manager from the 70s, um, their other tour manager, oh, God, well, I can't remember his name, the one after him from the later 70s, um, interviewed Paul, interviewed Jane, uh, Lydia, Bill Coyne, just like everybody, like the whole list. and. A lot of these people had disappeared, and including Vinnie Vincent. He found Vinnie Vincent had disappeared for a while in the 90s, and nobody knew he was in Nashville. And again, he just looked him up through ASCAP. Um, okay, so enough explaining. <laughs> you, you want to hear the cool stories. I'm sorry. Um, one of the coolest ones was when um, we interviewed Gene. Or, uh, you know, Ken interviewed him, and I was there as his driver. But I was along, and I sat in for these interviews. And it was in actually... The Allentown, Bethlehem area, which coincidentally I live there now. I lived in Virginia at the time. But several of their tours, they started in uh, Bethlehem at the Stabler Arena. Right, sure. Because it, it was a medium-sized university. They had a big high-tech um, stadium they could rent out for a whole week, and they would do their rehearsals and test the stage out there all week, and then they'd do their first show and then move on. So we interviewed Gene at a restaurant in the area then, and... There had been rumors about this. This was for the Revenge Tour. There had been rumors about... So this was 92. Yeah, this was a while ago. There had been rumors that there was going to be this uh, Statue of Liberty 
that had like a, a Terminator skull and gave the crowd the finger. <laughs> right, right. And we're like, yeah, whatever. That's, you know, it's probably something like that. That's, that would never happen. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and so we're interviewing Gene and you know, we asked him about it. That was like my one question for him. It's like, well, what about this new stage? And he's like, well, yes, there's going to be like this Statue of Liberty. And then at one point there's going to be explosions and the face is going to fall off receiver revealing a silver skull. <laughs> We're like, ah, is that what you think of the Thatcher Liberty? <laughs> that he's like, then, and then at the end, the, 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 the hand is going to, it's going to turn into a fist, but then a little finger is going to come up. We're looking at him like, you're joking. <laughs> looking back, it's kind of cool. But at the time we just couldn't quite figure out what that really meant. And we're just like, like, you know, this is before we saw it. We've all seen it. We know what it's like now. We were just like flabbergasted. And then after we did the interview, which is funny, I remember Gene, he would, he would um, order food and he'd be like, well, I want this fried in Pam. And he was being real weight conscious and everything until dessert came. Then you want dessert? And he's like, oh, you got cookies? And he ordered <laughs> his big plate of cookies and kind of ruined all the um, health conscious food he'd just eaten, which was kind of, kind of cool. But then he goes, after we dumped the interview, he's like, well, would you like to see the rehearsal? And we're like, hell yeah. Like he invited us. And we're like, holy shit. And uh, so we followed him down to the rehearsal, and he let us sit on the side of the stage. Not, not on the side of the stage. The, it was the arena. There was no chairs. There were some mats. Like at, about halfway th through, like a 50-yard line, there were some mats. We were sitting there at the 50-yard line watching them rehearse. It was freaking hilarious. They, um, I remember they started flinging picks at Ken. And this is, you know, halfway down a a 10,000-seat arena, it's a, it's a good distance. Um, it's not the Madison Square Garden, but it's uh, several hundred feet. And, you know, they're legendary. They flick picks. If you've known, people say they find guitar picks on the, by the soundboard in the back of the <laughs> arena. That's because they flick them. They can really literally shoot them over 100 feet. And it's amazing. So he's shooting it, and he sh Gene shot one. And it, like, curved and, and did all these acrobatics in the air then it hit Ken right in the middle of his glasses and, then, and it didn't like it bounced straight off it was like such a perfect shot between the eyes and Gene was just like put his arms up like he did a had just done a <laughs> touchdown and Ken was all you know Ken he's a fan but he also wants to be professional in front of them so he's like all flustered and it was like so so funny but I remember they they played uh I, I noticed they they were just playing by by saying uh, they were weren't doing vocals, but then there was the background vocals were recorded, like to shout it out loud. Right, and sure. And we're like, what the hell is this? You know. We so just, we're talking. That's like Revenge Era because that's yeah. Revenge Tour that you know started at Stabler Arena. Now, obviously, the backing track issue is a big one right now, or maybe it's all the tracks. Who knows? Depends who you listen to. But the uh, I mean, I, I think that was never that much of a secret in the eighties. A lot of bands had the backing vocals were on there. Um, right, but we just um, either we just didn't want to believe it, or it, it's no big deal. <laughs> it's like it's definitely it's just to make the you know they have to sync up to all the fireworks and pyrotechnics anyway, so they just have uh, the background vocals just gave it more of a kick. But I mean they were singing and playing everything else. But I remember at the end when they were doing the finger, they were testing the finger out. <laughs> like they kept doing the end, and Paul would be like talking to the guy in the back who was operating it. He's like. Now, look, this is what we want to do. We're going to play, and then all of us, we're going to look up at the Statue of Liberty. And all the audience is going to be saying, what's Paul looking at? 
And then that's when I want the finger to come up. And it seemed pretty simple, but the guy just couldn't get it to sync properly. You know, they, they were doing the, you know, the extra to their, the real slow guitar riffs they were playing. And Paul looks up and the finger wouldn't come up. And he was so pissed. He started like, I never seen Paul like really yell at somebody, but he was like yelling at this guy. He couldn't get the middle finger to come up on the Statue of Liberty right when he wanted, like when he looked back at it. He's like, look, I'm turning around looking at it. What's the problem? It's like so funny. But by the first show, they got those kinks worked out. Right. But it was really cool to see um, to see stuff like that. So how long do you think, how many, what was the time span you were driving around with Ken getting these interviews? It must have been, it must have been like six months. And now it must, you know, I, I, like I said, I thought it was 93, 94. I guess it was actually 92. And I remember he, um, he, like I said, he wanted to do a, a an interview book and then Gene wanted to buy it. He did buy it from him, but Ken was like, again, being a few years older, he couldn't be pushed around. He was like, no, well, I've, if you don't use all the interviews after this certain amount of time, I want it to revert back to me so I can put out my own book. And Gene was like, it never took so long to, cr- to close a deal like this. <laughs> Ken just wasn't backing down. It was, it was great. And, and, you know, I want to say that there's, these are, um, Ken was doing the interviews. I was just there. You should really have Ken on, Ken Sharp on. He, he's, be great, an, yeah. he's, he's amazing, and they're his real stories. But I'm, as a bystander, I have a different view on it. Uh, one of the funnier ones was when we got time to tell another Absolutely. quick story. We're looking around 3.30. Todd Howard's going to call him, but whenever it rings, we'll, we'll pick him up. Uh, okay. One of the funnier ones was uh, Ron Lejack from Wicked Lester. And again, now it's like, you know, Ron shows up at, Kiss Expos, everybody was autographed. Back then, nobody, everybody wanted to have him at an expo. Everybody wanted to meet him, talk to him, hear his stories about Wicked Lester working with Paul and Gene. And he was um, just not to be found. We just didn't know how to find people. Ken found him. And this was the first interview he did. And so I was like so excited. And we went to his house. He lived in like a row house somewhere in Brooklyn. And it's funny because he's like this old rock dude and he has these two kids that are like in junior high, like, I don't know, they're probably 12 and 13 and they're all real conservative dressed and, you know, conservative hair and their dad's guy got long hair and he's all rock and roll and they're like, he's, you know, being that way, he's, he's as rock and rollers are loud and obnoxious, they're just looking at rolling in their eyes like, oh, my, my rock and roll dad is embarrassing me. It was, like, <laughs> it was really, really funny. And he had this. In the middle of his living room, he had this, uh, you know, those bags that boxers have, whatever they call them. Like a big punching bag? The the ones that are body-sized. But he used it for martial arts in the middle of his living room. And he would, like, by the end of the interview, he knew us so well. He's like, let me show you some moves. He's like, like, come at me like you're trying to kill me with a knife. And we're like, oh, shit. And he like, we come at him, and he, like, just grabs us and flips me over and throws me on the floor. And it was like... (laughs) <laughs> you know, by the it was just it was cool, but it was not cool at the same time because it really did hurt. Well, you know, you're there thinking you're going to interview this rocker, and now he's attacking you. That's <laughs> yeah. Ron, Ron was a lot of lot of fun, um, and uh, I think the most interesting story we had was with um, well, but Ron Lejack. What we should talk about is what did he say about meeting Paul and Jane before Kiss? And he would talk about how they were just. Um, he talked about how they were at the studio. Where did they record the Wicked Lester demo? Um, Didn't they do that with Electric Lady? Studio? It was yeah. Electric Lady. Yeah, Electric Lady was a legendary place. He sure. said, you know, Ron was a little older than they were. He had recorded there before, and he knew the. But this was Paul and Gene's first time. There was big for them because they were just kids at the time. 
And he said that, he says, uh, when they were, you know, they were working and then he's like, oh, you want to meet some girls? And they're like, really? Well, how do you do that? <laughs> like, like, seriously. And he says, well, just come on down. And he says, they would just come out the door and they would always be like girls kind of hanging around. They just kind of come out the door and stand there and they'd come up to him. And Paul, he said, Paul and Gene were just like, wow, this is cool. This is like the first time they like met girls, I guess, through their music, <laughs> which was kind of interesting. And, uh, it went on for a bit. Is this a G-rated show? Or? G-rated show, yeah. Okay. We're on college radio. Okay, fact, so, then they, so then they just, uh, Paul and Gene met some nice girls. And that was, <laughs> and that was they're, I guess, their first groupies they had, they had met. Well, on that happy note, we're going to go to a song, and then we're going to get Todd Howarth on the phone here in the Kiss Room on Monaco Radio, where music and minds meet.
And we're back in the KISS room. I'm thrilled to have Todd Howarth on the phone calling in from San Diego, California. Todd, how are you? I'm doing good. We had a little bout of rain that came in yesterday. Uh, actually, a lot of rain. <clears throat> and today it's going to be sunny, and then I guess it's supposed to rain for the next four or five days, which is <laughs> odd for California, but uh, I'm doing great. So there's the weather with Todd Howarth. We love it. Now, obviously, now you know him as a weatherman, but also a vocalist, guitarist, and keyboard player from <laughs> Fraley's Comet. Which, of course, Fraley's Comet, we're coming out this year as the return of the Comet. Todd, tell us about Return of the Comet. We talked to John Reagan last month. We had a blast. The listeners loved hearing from him. So we got you on this time to bring even more information to Return of the Comet. What's going on? Well, I appreciate uh, the uh, the sentiment there, Matt. I think that uh, John probably told you, uh, you know, all the, the proper uh, inf- information about uh, Return of the Comet. It, it actually kind of fell in our laps um, based on a mutual uh, business partner uh, friend uh, that called us, uh, uh, called John actually, a few months back and said, hey, I've got an idea for, you know, a band, a project. And it, it uh, he told John what he had in mind, and John called me and said, what do you think? I said, well, this is... This is something we talked about a long time ago. We kind of joked about it, John and I did. Like, well, eventually, I guess it'll be Richie Scarlett, you and me, and and uh, one of our drummers, you know, maybe Anton Fig, you know, doing some type of thing, you know, uh, it, it, like a, a revisiting the Comet era, and uh, it, it comes to pass. You know, that's really fantastic, and that's the thing I think that's the most fun is that you are going to bring back some songs, you know, from that era and really focusing on a time that was a, it was a great time because, you know, all the different music, Ace was finally coming back out with things, and the stuff that you brought to the table was great, and I think it really is a celebration of that time. Uh, I think the neat thing about it is that we're hearing songs that we just haven't heard maybe ever live. Yeah, definitely. There's uh, there are many tunes that that I never played uh, you know, with with the Comet. In fact, uh, Richie. Well, everybody knows Richie was with the Comet before I was, and then I joined, and I was there about uh, about two years, a little under two years, and then Richie came back to play with Ace. They did a lot of songs uh, prior to and after me being there. And we have all decided that it'd be a great, fun thing for the fans, the Freddy's Comet fans, Ace fans, to hear some of these tunes that were never played. Now, the the fun thing, I think, is going to be between Richie and myself, because there's so much we can do. As we, when we talked about uh, the band on the, on the phone in a conference call, we, Richie and I had pretty much the same idea. It's like, you know, Richie's a fantastic lead player. I mean, he's a consummate lead player, uh, lead guitars, and, and I'm a pretty much, you know, more of a lead singer than, I mean, I can do a lot of things, but I, I, I lead sing more than anything else, I believe. So we kind of figured out and agreed that, hey, you know, I'll, uh, Richie's going to sing some vocals, of course. Uh, you got you got to hear Richie's vocals because it's indicative to his style and his, his stamp for Fraley's Comet or Dave's Fraley Band after the fact. So he'll be singing and playing a lot of leads. I'll be singing a lot and playing a few leads. Uh, John will be bringing in the pounding bass and, and Steve Budgie Werner, whom I've never played with, but I heard he's a fantastic drummer, and I, and I will take the word of John and Richie. Uh, I'm looking forward to that as well. So, yes, we will be doing songs that, uh, uh, that I definitely haven't ever done before. I'll be singing a lot of the tunes that, that uh, the, the Comet did where Ace sang. Uh, including Into the Night and Words Are Not Enough, that type of stuff. And we'll bring in some other uh, heavier rock tunes that that uh, Richie was involved with 
uh, prior to and during the Comet. And so we're looking forward to it, not only from playing on stage together, but also for what the fans may enjoy. And that's, I mean, if, if the fans aren't enjoying it, then there really is no reason for us to do it. You know, and really what we're talking about is the return of the Comet lands in this area at the Sellersville Theater on Tuesday, April 9th. If you can go to st94.com, you can get your tickets. I'm going to be there, and I'm really looking forward to that. And I think I'm thrilled because it really is our basically our backyard here in Monco. The Sellersville Theater is a great venue and not far from here. So everybody within the sound of my voice, which is everybody, needs to be there Tuesday, April 9th for the return of the Comet. You know, when you think about it, think about those early days of forming the band. Like, what was that like walking into that situation? Well, it, you know, for me, it was, it was I, I don't mean to burst any bubbles here, but for me, it was just, it was just another business move to, uh, <laughs> to play with another band that, you know, was, was good and had some possibilities, and hopefully I could, again, bring some uh, entertainment value to the listeners, but also get to know some more uh, famous players and good players. And I, I, I hate to make it sound like that, but the thing is, when my first band, my first recording act was in 1981, and and that's when I was like, wow, this is really something. I'm going to be playing uh, with the band 707. We're going on tour with REO Speedwagon, who had the biggest album of all time then, you know, the High Infidelity Tour. Right. So that, that was the era where I was like, just not starstruck, but I was just thrilled to be there. I mean, overly thrilled because I was young. I was 23 years old, made my first record, and uh, and there were records back then. And so I just <laughs> felt like this is this is going to be great. And so so through the years, the excitement was still there, but I've become very well aware how much of the business side of it that it was. So when I came to audition uh, with for Fraley's Comet, I was on my way to another leg of touring with Cheap Trick, and I flew into New York first. Uh, to to play with the guys and it was great meeting Ace and even um, I think John was there and I think it was Anton Fig playing drums I, I'm pretty sure and and even Eddie Tronka who was working with Megaforce Records at that time was there so it it was it was fun um, what I like a lot of the bands you know their first impression of me is like oh yeah okay he's okay so I had to come back a second time and go well this is what I can really do here. And uh, so after the second time, go okay. Well, he's a uh, he's definitely viable. He can play and sing and write some songs. And it was fun putting it together because I thought there's going to be potential here. Initially, I wasn't sure that was going to happen. But then after we got together, I thought this is going to be fun because you know, it just had all the components of of a great assembly. Well, you know, also at that time, of course, the industry is moving into the video age. Now you have to be an actor and you're lip syncing the songs in the video and things like that. You know, and that and you were right there in that kind of era when MTV was really on fire and a solid video could right. make you. Talk about any memories of making those videos. I mean, some certainly something like Into the Night, one of the more well-known videos from the MTV era. Yeah, that was done in the Garment District in downtown uh, San Francisco. And that was the first uh, production video we did, and I was really excited to do it. Um, uh, my then wife and I drove up from San Diego all the way to San Francisco to do it. They filmed it in the middle of the night. <clears throat> it was kind of cold. It went cold, not as cold as the Midwest. I don't want to sound like a big city <laughs> complaint about the cold. I'm like, yeah, I'm chilly. It's about 64 degrees here right now. Like, damn, it's too cold. But uh, it was cool up there, and, and it was a lot of fun. A lip syncing, of course, was uh, 
yeah, kind of second nature, but uh, sometimes you you have to really put a whole bunch of heart into it to make it look real, which I might add, Billy Ward at that time did just that to make sure that he hit all the the, uh, the drum hits and fills that Anton did on the record. Uh, Billy rehearsed it to the T and got it down so well that it really proved to be uh, beneficial for the video and the later shows. But it was fun. Ace was having a good time. Um, um, we finished up, I think, early morning of, uh, of that e- that next day, and then we did some photo shoots. And uh, I think the following day, uh, I drove back home, and and uh, you know we started to work. Uh, to prepare for live shows. That's great. I mean, one thing I'm curious, there definitely seemed to be a transition between the debut album and the second sighting album. You really seem to move into the front more, featured more on the songs, and like there's more of your lead singing. Describe the dynamic, what was going on in the band at the time. Well, when when I was hired to be in the band, when I was brought on the band, it was it was known that uh, Ace wanted to sing, and, and he's got a, a very distinctive style that works great for him and fans want and should hear him sing, but he also knew that he wasn't a real singer per se. Now, that term is subjective, I guess, but uh, he knew that I was more of a lead singer and that they'd utilize me for that reason along with the songwriting. So it was well, well understood what I was to bring. Uh, the first record was, was very much anticipated and did very well uh, as far as the release goes. The live record uh, came in there, which was a lot of fun because Anton said had two weeks off from David Letterman, so he did the shows, and there's a lot of mistakes in it, but we just powerhouse, powerhouse through it and had a blast. Then when we came to do Second Sighting, uh, it was probably a little too soon for various reasons that I won't go into it. It wasn't the best financial move for us, but we did it anyhow. Uh, Ace did not have the tunes prepared that he wanted to have prepared. I did. Uh, so they, the tunes got up on there, and and uh, a lot of people liked it. Some people didn't care for it. They thought I was trying to take the band in a different direction, which which is really not true. As a matter of fact, there was far less keyboards on that album, with the exception to It's Over Now, than there was on the first record, of which a lot of the first record keyboards I did not record. They were already there when I got there. Hmm. See, the, a lot of tracks were being laid down when I joined the band. So people thought, always used to take, oh, Todd Howard's bringing too much keyboards. Well, no, actually, I'd like to be heavy on guitar, period, because my personal stuff is pretty heavy and dark. But that being said, um, the second album had me singing half, Ace singing half, and I, and I wrote half of the, the record as well. Um, but I, I, I really wanted to go heavier with it, and it didn't have the heavy components to it that I would have liked to. And I had plans for what would be the third album, to be really heavily involved with, with trying to get uh, Ace to do more vocals and more darker type rock tunes. You know, it's funny you mentioned It's Over Now, because that was where I kind of got the feeling like that you were really moving toward really showcasing it as a band, where it wasn't Ace and a bunch of guys, because you take the lead in the video for that song and it really gives that feeling of of much more of a cohesive band where like something like rock soldiers obviously really features ace in the video it's definitely this an ace song um and i remember thinking wow this is great because this is really where they're going to move into this it's a much more cohesive kind of a thing so i guess you're saying it wasn't necessarily planned that to just showcase that even though that's what i thought but it 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 happened that way Uh, when i first joined the band i showed john regan the song 
And he said, wow, that's just amazing. I played it for him on the grand piano when we were mixing the first record. And uh, he said, that, that we got to put that on the second record. And I said, I said, you know, I've always thought the song was good. I wrote it for Cheap Trick to do back in 86 when I was with Cheap Trick. And, uh, of course, they heard it and, and, you know, followed it in one way or another, but didn't do it. Mm. I think probably because it was a heavily keyboard tune. Uh, but it was supposed to be just a good powerhouse ballad for someone to do. It ended up being uh, Fraley's Comet. Um and we had hoped that it would do something in the you know the singles category, but I believe that not enough money or promotion was put behind it as a single, and uh, therefore it, it didn't go anywhere. And I was extremely disappointed on many different levels. Um, the tune was a blessing as far as being able to do everything I wanted to do on the song. I mean, I played the lead, you know, the guitars, the, the keyboard, and sang it. Um, and it was a, a very generous thing for Ace to to let ha- transpire in his band, and I'm forever grateful for that. But I also got, uh, again, the mixed blessing from uh, some fans didn't care for it because it didn't feature Ace. Right. Well, I get that, but, you know, in order to enjoy Ace uh, in his entirety, I think it, it's, it's good when you have a whole composite of a band where you can pick out the great stuff that Ace does and enjoy that, but... I, I don't know. It 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 is what it was, <laughs> you know. And uh, it uh, I, I feel very fortunate, nonetheless. Yeah, I agree. I really liked that dynamic when it really felt like this was going to be a powerhouse band. Everybody was really, you know, you love it when you really know everybody in the band and everybody in the band has their own distinct kind of style. And I think that's one of the things that makes those records really so much fun because it was such a solid band. It wasn't like just Ace and a bunch of session people. It was like you were all strong players. And now you're talking about a third record that that obviously really never happened. But like, are there demos that were floating around, things like that? Is there are there anything left in the vault that we might be able to discover? There is some stuff that uh, Richie did with the band, I believe, and I'm not even clear what's demo or released or unreleased. But there are songs um, that that were done before uh, the first Fraley's record, and there were some songs done on Trouble Walking, I believe, uh, after I left that we're going to do. And to be honest, I don't even know which one's which. I, I, just have, I have a big list. We've got about 18 songs, I think, that, that we've got to brush up on. As a matter of fact, I've got to fly out to New York to meet up with uh, Richie and go over some stuff here uh, in the next few weeks. I've got to, uh, uh, I've got a, a couple of travel plans. So I, after I come back from visiting my grandkids in uh, Missouri, I'm going to fly back out to New York again and go over this stuff. But, I, I, I uh, bring, uh, let's get back to the topic. Um, yeah, there's a lot of tunes that we're all excited about playing, and uh, uh, that, that I think will be definitely new to me, uh, and will be fun for the fans to hear that, that they haven't heard before live. You know, thinking of that, I mean, obviously you're working on a set list. What are the favorite songs for you to play and do live? Well, I'm so used to doing my stuff, um, or, or the common stuff that, that we did. Uh, of course, uh, something moved is always fun for me. Breakout is, is a stellar tune. We'll always do that tune. Um, it's over now. Freddie's Comet never did that song live. Mm. I mean, if, if I was out of the band before we could do it live, and we were going to attempt it after uh, the uh, Iron Maiden tour. Uh, my old band or my current band, uh, Four by Fate, did "It's Over Now." Uh, we recorded it on the, the album as well. 
and we did it live, and that was a lot of fun. But I'm also looking forward to doing some of the heavy rock stuff that uh, John and Richie were involved with. Uh, we'll do some comment stuff from uh, the first album that we didn't do. Uh, we'll do that one that was on uh, uh, Words Are Not Enough. Going to do that song. Right. I'll, I'll be singing that. Um, we'll be doing... There's a, I, I, I guess I could ruin the surprise and go name off all the, the tunes, but... <laughs> don't don't read us the whole set list. We want to get them all fresh when we see you on Tuesday, yeah. April 9th at the Sellersville Theater. Like I mentioned earlier, everybody can go to exactly. ST94, which is, uh, ST stands for Sellersville Theater. ST94.com. You can get your tickets now for the return of the Comet happening on Tuesday, April 9th. Monco, it's in our own backyard, so we want to see all of our Kiss Army friends there. Um, now, thinking back to the start of the band, and, I, and you mentioned some of that, but there's got to be some funny stories in the studio, on the road, that you could share with us. And again, we are in regular radio, so we try and keep them clean. But, you know, there's got to be some good well, ones. Well, then I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no I, uh, yeah, there, there, are some, there are a lot of funny stories. Um, and I think I've told a lot of them. Um, you know, Ace was, was, it still is quite the character. Um, I, I remember one time we were in the studio, uh, recording and Ace was getting ready to do a lead. And of course he's sitting in a rollaway chair right there by the, the console board with, uh, Scott Mabucci, I think it is, uh, who was helping co-produce at that time. And he went to do a lead, but he took a bite of his bagel and cream cheese before that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, okay, okay, he's having lunch. So, but he drops some cream cheese on his guitar and it hits, you know, top of the strings. And it's not much, but and he doesn't wipe it off, you know, like a regular person grabbing a napkin. <laughs> he just kind of smears it all in. And then, you know, he yells at uh, Scott Mabucci, go, you know, to record. <laughs> and when he yells go, of course, some more cream cheese comes out of his mouth, falls back on the guitar. And uh, he starts whipping out his leads. And the leads are they're pretty, you know, Ace's style is iconic, of course, and pretty stellar. But here is flailing all this, these leaves, great stuff, with cream cheese all over his, his fretboard. And it was just, I thought that was the funniest damn thing ever. Um, and about the same period, he would get so low in his seat when he was listening that sometimes he'd get stuck under the console board, and he did get his whammy bar off of one of his balls stuck under there, and he couldn't get out from the to the, to the board until somebody lowered his chair. It just, <laughs> it, just, just funny stuff, because... Yeah, He's he's such a uh, his character is very cartoonish in that manner, which uh, is endearing to a lot of his fans. You know, I mean, obviously, right now the kiss is starting the end of the road, and there's been a lot of back and forth, kind of arguing through social media, and you know, obviously, everybody has very different personalities. What was your relationship with Ace like? Um, with Ace, when we first met, uh, it, it you know he was cautious, of course, because he didn't know who the hell I was, uh, but after we spent a lot of time together, and we did, I, I spent a lot of time with him in his, his condo on the west side, and we we, we got along uh, very well, very close. Um, uh, musically and friendship-wise, uh, he was very driven for the first Freddy's Comet record. He was disciplined. He was ready to go. He was in great shape physically and, and uh, you know, and vocally and, and musicianship-wise. It was it was fantastic. Uh, we never had a bad uh, a bad situation. I do think that people got into his ear, uh, including very close people like my ex-wife, uh, which seems to be a, a recurring theme here. <laughs> but uh, 
and, and said or told him things that didn't actually happen or transpire. And so in the end, you know, after I quit the band and I called him, I, you know, I quit the band because of, uh, eventually the label wanted uh, Ace to sing and write everything, which left me nothing back then. Mm. And I thought, well, there's no real reason for me to be here. I better strike out on my own and take another gamble. So when I left the project, he, I called him and, and said, you know, I'm going to need to leave. He said, well, I wish you wouldn't go. I said, well, I, I really don't want to. I, I feel I have no choice. You know, there's there's no money to be earned here. I'm going to be, you know, back to being a, a, a complete hired gun, which is not beneficial, I think, for my career. And he understood it. And But from that point on, we didn't speak anywhere near as much, if at all, and it, I would only periodically see him at KISS conventions, and at were KISS uh, coming through when he rejoined KISS. Coming through San Diego is uh, the only time I saw him, and we talked very little, but you know, he had his own thing going on, and I was desperately trying to get my thing going, and I ended up, of course, playing back for Cheap Trick for another six years. You know, and talk about that. Obviously, I'm a big Cheap Trick fan as well. I mean, in Cheap Trick, you were always, I guess, in some ways kind of hidden, like, you know, the, the keyboards off the side of the stage, things like that. But talk about your, your experience with Cheap Trick. Well, when I first moved to L.A., I was playing with a lot of cats there uh, trying to put together, uh, you know, a solo band, or not solo band, but, yeah, solo bands or bands, original bands, actually. And one of the original bands um, was with a guy that uh, eventually auditioned for Gene Simmons and uh, and company back in 1980. So that's the first 1980. That's my first time I met Gene. Mm. It was either 80 or 81. The guys I was playing with in that band were also uh, a guy named Pete Camita, who's a guitar player, sure. and then John Brandt, who's a bass player. They're both from the Chicago area. And we were working with a lot of people from the Chicago area and in L.A., uh, up-and-coming people, uh, Jay Wending, uh, producer, uh, keyboard player, great keyboard player, and George Tutko, who was a, a great uh, engineer producer. And through that grapevine, uh, when it came time for Cheap Trick to get a new keyboard player, they had a guy playing with them that actually was a friend of mine, a fantastic singer and, and, and keyboard player uh, out of uh, out of ballet. They called me up to see if I could uh, do the gig, and I said, uh, well, sure, I'd, I'd love to. And so I, I flew out to audition for that, and the same thing. They're like, oh, okay, it's okay, but... Uh, you know, and then the Robin said, "Well, did you ever sing any of our songs?" I said, "Well, yeah, I, I did some stuff." And so they had me sing a couple songs, and they, they thought oh, it was pretty cool. Yeah, they enjoyed it, uh, but they weren't overly impressed, I guess, because um, mm. I wasn't overly flamboyant or pushy, or you know, I, I don't know. Uh, who knows? I mean, they're they're a very guarded group as well, as they should be, you know, because you know everybody's trying to get some piece of something out of somebody. <laughs> uh, but I came back a second time. And their manager really believed in me, and he said, "Look, uh, just come back and and you know do some singing and and just you know nail it." So I came back and I sang live at the at the soundboard, auditioning for the man the manager, and he was listening to me, going, "Holy moly, okay, you can hit these notes, you can do all stuff." And so they said, "Okay, well, we'll give you a shot. You're in. Uh, no rehearsals. Just here's the set list. You rehearse everything. We'll fly in. You can watch a couple shows, and then we'll." let go of our keyboard player and you just move in and that's <laughs> wow. exactly what happened yeah exactly what happened so there's got to be some good stories on the road with cheap trick oh yeah there's uh, i mean everything about trick is true you know rick is a cartoon <laughs> uh he, he always has been he's a great songwriter uh very sarcastic uh 
quick wit, uh, and Bunny was exactly who Bunny was. He's a very stylistic, uh, incredible drummer that used to flick cigarettes at me occasionally on stage, uh, and occasionally a drumstick, which uh, didn't go over too well in the end. But, um, and Robin, of course, most one of the best underrated American rock singers of all time. Uh, it was it, we had a great dynamic, and then when I was with uh, when John Brandt was in the band, you know, I, of course I knew John from L.A. and um, a very a very good friendship there. But later on, it would become a, a strange dynamic because Robin and I would hang together like at the pool halls after the gigs and, and play other people at pool, and usually shark them. You know, <laughs> Robin's pretty good at pool, and I I could be good uh, every once in a while, and we had a, a, a fun time with that. Uh, and then Rick and I would be, we'd hang out on the bus a lot together because we just, for some reason, we like to watch strange movies and, and then talk about some musical things here and there. And then Tom Peterson and I would hang out a lot at the hotels and just walk around cities visiting the, some of the strangest shops. I don't know where he came up with these ideas to, to go up this, like, museum of medical artifacts. Like, what the hell? You know, but, if, I mean, just strange, eclectic stuff. And uh, Bunny was, he, Bunny was, he was, yeah, sometimes he overly, real friendly and very knowledgeable. I mean, he had a memory like an elephant. And other times he didn't want to be around anybody. And I get that because, you know, it's, as I'm older and now I, I definitely understand that. But the stories, oh, God, there's, uh, um, I have to think about that because there's <laughs> so many over so many years. But I'm trying to think out something I can tell. You know, the radio, which I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those are, those were probably the most fun stories of all. So it's uh, so really the one thing we can tell everybody is that you're coming to the Sellersville Theater. It's Tuesday, April 9th. Everybody needs to go to st94.com and buy some tickets. Any messages you want to send out to the Kiss Army and the Fraley's Comet fans and the Return of the Comet fans that, that are listening all over the planet? Yeah, I do. I mean, I... I cannot thank everybody enough for being there after all these years, for embracing me with Ace and and through Kiss and um, uh, at the whole because I play with them all um, and I feel very fortunate not to just to play with you know all the bands including Ace I mean all band members including Ace, but learning and and getting to know the uh, the Kiss fans the Ace fans. Uh, the Fraley's Comet fans. It is. I, I, I've never met a more loyal bunch of people that are dedicated to their music. And even though I'm not a, you know, I, I was never a huge Kiss fan uh, growing up on the, on the West Coast because I was into different types of music, I came to love and respect what they've done and a lot of the tunes uh, after the fact because of the way that the fans perceive, enjoy them, and, and see them. And I can't thank them all enough for supporting us, you know, uh, supporting the new show, uh, the Return of the Comet, and being there and writing and saying uh, complimenting posts or messages or emails. I thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, once you're in the Kiss family, you're always part of the Kiss family, and you know you're in the Kiss family. So it's uh, it's amazing. <laughs> that's the way it works, and we're all going to see the return of the Comet Tuesday, April 9th at the Sellersville Theater. Todd Howard, thanks for spending time with us here in the Kiss Room. Matt, I really appreciate it, and uh, again, thanks, and a shout-out to everybody out there. Uh, we are thrilled to be there in on the 9th. 
uh, of April, and it's it's just going to be a lot of fun. So I guess I'm going to have to go learn some songs now. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to it. You're in the Kiss Room <laughs> on Mako Radio, where music and minds meet.
So it's uh, February. We all know what month that is. Valentine's Day is coming up. And uh, so we're going to do a love set. Now, that, love do- <laughs> that doesn't mean that, um, you know, they're all going to be sappy love songs. It just means the word love is in there somewhere. So, you know, with Valentine's Day coming up, Marcy, once you get your present, you better come on and love me. One, two. I'm a Capricorn of seas and cancer Summer picture in a music magazine When she left me, she said she'd get me Touched her hips and told me that she let me I took her hand, oh, baby, this is what I said Stanley's solo album, not the 78 one. <laughs> Ready? Yep. One, two, three, four. I want you to know that I'm thinking about you now. And time passes so slow. I've remembered goodbye and the tears in your eyes, but who's 
to say where we stay with another Counting days till we're holding each other I could hear your voice inside my head still ringing my ears I could close my eyes and feel you beside me Well, I hope and pray to find a way Hold you somehow I'm just loving you without you That your face is all I can see And now my feelings still grow You and I can't deny what we're feeling We'll get by all these moments we're stealing I can keep your voice inside my ears to ring my ears I can close my eyes and feel you beside me I was thinking about this, you know, I think Gene and Paul have always had that friendly competition. So I think, you know, Paul wrote Love Gun, and, and Gene's like, hey, what, can, what kind of double entendre song can I do? Every song you know? is a double Yeah. But so he's like, well, Paul did a gun, let me do a tunnel. You know? So this is Tunnel of Love. <laughs> You're 
have to do as I please You'll jump off the roof if I say I won't let you get away It must have been a devil in me Tunnel of love, tunnel of love Let me visit your tunnel of love Tunnel of love, tunnel of love I got to visit your tunnel of love You're just a victimless crime It happens all the time, yeah and your bill is my pay You are the lock, I am the key You know what you do to me Tunnel of love, tunnel of love Let me visit your tunnel of love Tunnel of love, tunnel of love Got to visit your tunnel Nice feedback, Jerry. Nice. <laughs> cool. All right, this is a real deep cut off of Bruce Kulick's solo album, and this goes out to Marcy. And now it's not Stare at Heaven. <laughs> Today I woke up just the same The same I always do You packed your bags And in the traffic I fell through And in the moments reminisced Well I Games that I've been playing 
again It's just pretending we discovered The spark where it began If you should change your mind I'd trade your love for all of mine Sunny days have gone And love has passed you by All the memories and the pain In vivid colors still remain I can see now Can we just fall in love All over again Let's just pretend and rediscover The spark where it began If you should change your mind I'd trade your love for all of mine All my life my heart sings a song Of love and desire Let's just pretend and rediscover The spark where it began If you should change your mind I'd trade your love for all of mine Oh my life, my heart sings a song of love and desire. All right. Wow. <laughs> now tell me where that's from. Actually, uh, it's from uh, Bruce Kulick, I think his Transformer album, but then uh, his latest album, BK3, on the iTunes version, it's the last song. But yeah, you know, I was looking for love songs and I listened to that and I'm like, man, that's. That's a beautiful song. Talk so, that deep cut. yeah. Wow. So we got one more, and um, you know, some some girls like their love, you know, like soft and sweet, but but other girls like their love and cheese. <laughs> one, one, two, three, four. <laughs> I 
you're going to like this band. They got the lights in their eyes and the look of champions. Real champions. How about that? I'll tell you, Kiss Room House Band, Fran Galanti, Jerry Lee Watkins, Jim Zagel digging deep on those cuts. That was amazing. And look, for everybody out there complaining about backing tracks, 100% live. So it was fantastic. So look, you can see it. It was great. Now look, before we keep going, we, I'm going to send a bunch of shout-outs. Everybody that shared my link for me. Joe Cimbelli, Bill Elam, Greg Johnson, David Cathy, Steve Javorski, Candy Burton. She posted a bunch of great pictures today. Thanks, Candy. Chris Goff from Kiss World. David Cathy, I said your name twice. So nice you got it twice. Sean Cullen, Rodney Dixon, Javier Boaster, Craig Bauer from Kispirational. If you're not following Kispirational on Instagram, you should be. Great posts. John Phillips, Barb Hillerzuski, Chris Hartman, Bob McMichael, Britton Mitchell from Kiss Cosplay, Ron Jones and Mike Moon. If you haven't checked out the Let It Rip page yet on Facebook, get hooked up with that. Podcast coming soon. Dean John, Christina Green shared it in a ton of groups. I appreciate that. Dottie Jones, Chris Ann Colvin, Ira Bostian, Tony Mann up in NYC, Martin DiMasso also up in New York City listening in. 
David Ritter, Kiss Army Omaha, Vagabond Entertainment, Troy Wildeson, Chris Sinzak from the Decibel Geek Podcast, Brian Harris, Jerry Lee Watkins is here. Jerry Gellef will say your name even though you're the biggest troll on Facebook. Jim Zagel and Diana Zagel, Chris Simcoe, Mike Simcoe, Ewan Ballantyne, Joe Laskin, Kalen Provo, Billy Davis and Lisa Smith from the Kiss Unmasked Tribute Band. Peter Arquette is here. We're going to get some more stories, and he shares on KissAsylum.com every month. Joe, Jody, Brent, Sonny, D-Rock, and the Podcast Rock City crew. Eric and Judy Wisniewski, you all need to tune in every Tuesday night from 7 to 9 for the Electric Crush. It's on WMCK out of the Pittsburgh area. Sound of the Mon Valley, you can tune into that. Listen to it on the TuneIn app, same as you listen to me. Ken Mills and the podcast, of course, AJ Zone and Anthony Porter and the lovely Amy Porter all shared my link. I'll tell you, it's people are listening all over the planet. We sure do love it because it's a Kiss Room Friday. I want to send a shout out again. I mean, thanks to Todd Howarth for calling in. Everybody can go see Return of the Comet April 9th in Sellersville. I will be there. That's plus enough for you to want to come to that show. It's going to be a blast. You heard all those songs he's talking about. It's going to be off the charts fun. In that same week, also at Sellersville Theater, is Angel and Stars. So that whole week is going to be great. And then that Friday is the Kiss Room in April. We're back again March 8th, of course. But then, thanks to P- um, Peter Arquette, obviously, is here. David Snowden, Kim Snowden, Joe Wilkerson, Jerry Richter, that were all here earlier with us. Fantastic. But So a shout-out of a cannon. It's a Kiss Room Friday having the best time ever. House band nailing it. That was really something. How about that band? I, How about I, I, it? I really loved your vocals, Jerry. You, you have really like an early 70s gravelly type of... It's not like how Paul sounds, but it really fits with the Kiss songs good. That's kind of like a new dimension. I, I really enjoyed that. These guys are all great. Now, look, you all play out other shows, too. Do you want to announce where you're going to... I know Revolution Radio has a show <laughs> yes. coming up, right? Talk about that. Uh, tomorrow night at Sweeney's, and we're doing uh, all of the Dookie album in its entirety. So wow. It should be fun. It's worth a deuce or a dookie. <laughs> I borrowed, uh, I said to my daughter, uh, can I borrow your um, stuffed poop emojis for the show? So they'll be all over the stage. <laughs> Madison Porter, she has probably one of those big pillows too, a big poop emoji pillow. I have no poop. <laughs> I've been Did constipated. You want, you want to see get in the mic? <laughs> uh, no, I'm looking forward to Return of the Comet. There's a lot of good stuff. Y&T coming up. Y&T, uh, I'm going to see that. Who would have ever thought? And Malamstein at Sellersville. Ingve announced that show. It's I think it's Memorial Day weekend, though, so that's going to be tough, you know. Ingve at Sellersville. I'll hear it in Doylestown. I don't know, but you'll hear it in Doylestown. Now, Jim, you're back just from vacation. Well tan. Give us uh, the highlights of your vacation. What do you think? You got a t- better tan than anybody in the room, so it's uh, welcome back. And your lovely wife always shares the posts for me in the kiss room. Hopefully she's listening. Yeah, she is listening, and uh, you shouldn't have worn the sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you take them off sometimes. I, yeah, but, I was like, you know. man, I was like Betty Davis eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're not violet. <laughs> nah, Avery Colton, be good for my mom. They're listening, so <laughs> she's watching the grandkids. <laughs> no, it was just a lot of fun and sun on the beach. You know, met a lot of really cool people, really nice people. Um, a lot of shady people though. Some, there's some shady deals going down. I'm gonna say, you know, you walk around with long hair and a bandana. Uh, you know, the uh, the rosters know who you are. They, they, they want to be around. So hey, they're like, hey, yeah. hey, yeah. hey. Well, the best picture was you were on the beach in a leather jacket, 
and it was like 78 there, and it was about eight degrees here. So we're glad you're back. Looking yeah, well tanned. That's for one of my friends, uh, Mike Sylvester, because the first time we went to Punta Cana, um, we went to the hotel room, and I still had my leather vest on. And I walk out to the balcony, and my wife takes a picture of me with the vest on. And she posts it, you know, in front of the palm trees. And he's like, oh, my God, take the leather off now. You're at the beach. <laughs> so when we got there, we couldn't check in uh, because checking was we got there early. So, you know, we're just walking around, and I'm like, all right. We gotta give one for Mike. I haven't bust my balls on this. I got fat Fonzie gonna make it to the beach. <laughs> well, when, when Fonzie jumped jump the shark, shark though, right? but I did swim with him. <laughs> Woo! I did a lot of snorkeling, saw a lot of cool fish, a lot of a lot of a lot of, a lot of fun, you know. That is good yeah. stuff. Yeah, a lot of Bob Marty. <laughs> <laughs> All your buddies, man. Yeah. That's great. So look, we're having the best time ever. It's a Kiss Room Friday. Now we had, we were talking. It's funny because we uh, we went to a couple songs in there before Todd called it, and uh, yeah, Peter, that story with uh, Gene and Paul and the group we can't really repeat here on Monco Radio, where music reminds me, but it was a good one. Yes, it was. <laughs> Got a lot more. You have to wait for his book when that comes out because everybody has a book. So, no, now, so think about at that time. What were some? Was there anything surprising? You were. We we're going to continue our conversation from earlier. You're driving around with Ken Sharp. You're collecting all these stories that eventually, like you said, became really the basis for the history book. Anything else kind of jump out in your mind? Crazy stories. What was going on at the time? Oh hell yeah! Um, <laughs> God, let's see. There was uh, Billy Miller was. Really interesting uh, an interview. Billy talked about he was their tour manager in the mid seventies. Um, who was their manager after that? The why can't I remember his name? At what at what era? Uh, like the Alive Destroyer era was Billy Miller. Then after that was um, okay. Uh, <laughs> Dead air. I can't think of it. So somebody's got their their road manager. But anyway, uh, well, Jr.'s out at that point. Yeah, you know, by the seventies. But Billy Miller was their uh, road manager between the you know seventy five, seventy six, I think early seventy seven. He would tell us these crazy stories. He said that, um, you know, as the tours went on, like the Destroyer tour and Rock and Roll Over tour, it became evident that Peter and Ace each needed their own manager if you know what i mean and they were just kind of you know hard to handle which is which is you know cool that's what makes them cool why we love them but um i guess he became even though he was the tour manager he also became peter's manager meaning he had to make sure peter got up and so now got out of bed. i'm gonna interrupt you tony says that fritz pots what pot pots will wait tony you got to call in and tell us that's who he can't remember. So Tony, no, call in. Fritz, Fritz was after this guy. I'm thinking about it, and I'm sorry. I apologize for that. <laughs> um, you know, the guy who was with them, oh, cool. in like like the '77. They're their road manager then. Anyway, cricket, cricket. Yeah, I, I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> You'll hear it. You'll get like the geek on there going, "Oh, it's this person." Somebody will remember. So anyway, go ahead. But Billy, um, it came to a point where I think um, it was his, he told us it was his job to get Peter out of bed and up and all that stuff. And he said one time he went to get Peter up on the tour bus and he, Peter had a gun under his pillow and he pulled it out and pointed at him. He said, get the, (laughs) get away from me. Wow. And he, uh, Billy said, that's it. I'm, uh, you know, I'm done. And 
he said he Bill says, well, just come to the next meeting. He's like, okay, fine, but I'm I'm done. You know, I, I can't. You know, blah blah blah. It says it's it's not worth it, and it's it's um. No, no, this is how it went. It, it, uh, he, he demanded that he doubled his pay. He called it combat pay. <laughs> and he was getting paid a lot to begin with. And he said, double it or I'm out of here. And Bill O'Quinn was like, okay. And he doubled his pay just for the extra extra job he had. But then, and then he said at the end of that tour, which is, I don't know which tour it was, at the end of one of the tours, his contract was up. And he said, I'm not coming back. It's just too stressful. It just isn't working. And Bill said, We'll just come to the next meeting. He's like, okay, but I'm out. There's nothing you can do to convince me. And he said, you know, they go to this board meeting and Bill comes in. Bill's very theatrical, even though he wears a suit and tie. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's the fifth member of Kiss. <laughs> and he comes in and he's at the end of this long table. And he like writes this, he like writes this number on the ship slip of paper and he slides it down to Billy at the other end. And he, it was what he was going to offer him for the next tour. Billy looks at it. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> he didn't tell us what that number was, but it was uh, a, some type of astronomical number. They just needed him to, um, for what he could do. Now, um, Tony's chiming in Frank Skinlaro, which would make sense because that's in the Tom Snyder news. So they say, Frankie Skinlaro, he's a great he's guy. I'll see you at New Year's Eve. Year's yeah. That could be. See, I, thanks, Tony. Thanks for everybody who's actually listening. Oh, jeez. <laughs> It's the guy who, okay, this is obscure. There was a guy who, um, their tour manager, me and Ken went to interview him in New York City, and he had a toilet, he had Gene's toilet seat that was like, it was clear, it was, it was clear plastic, and it had barbed wire inside the plastic. And this was like in his, his New York City apartment. He was like, yeah, that was Gene's toilet seat. He said, I liked it so much that he took it off his toilet and gave it to me. And I, I remember I took a picture of it, and I, this was before the internet, of course, but by the time the internet came around, I, it had gotten up there. So I think that should jog. That's where he, where he came up mind. with the idea for the Kiss My Ass toilet paper. Yeah, there you go. Shout out to Joe Stacy, the potty like a rock star. We can, I just put mine in my new bathroom, so it's pretty great. Okay. Anyway, um, let's see. What else did Billy talk about? Billy was, um, yeah, I can't tell that one. Um, I don't know. He, he was, he told some, some good stories. Um, why don't we talk about Foundations Forum? Definitely. That's a good time. I mean, certainly right around that revenge era. It was 1993 was yeah. Foundations Forum. Now, Foundation, if you don't know what Foundations Forum is, it's a, trade show for heavy metal basically and this is like you know uh the 80s really ended 92 93 so it was still kind of just crazy stuff now it's a trade show it means it's a convention it's but it's not open to the public it's just for people in the industry in the rock and roll industry right. the hair metal industry is right. really what it was <laughs> and you know i got in just because i know Russell and Mike from New York. I'm sure that name comes up. Um, but, you know, they would do their business, and then at night they would, bands would play on these small stages. And Kiss was like playing um, along with a lot of other bands, Gore and uh, Blackie Lawless, Wasp, and everything. And it was the first time that Kiss had played a lot of their old tracks, like Deuce. They hadn't played in forever. They played Deuce. They played. Um, Going Blind live. And now these songs, as fans in the early 90s, we thought we'd never hear them right. again. Now, the reason they showed up was because of Eric Singer. Eric Singer has 
all, up to today, he still has a big influence on their set list for whatever reason. That, I mean, it's a good reason because he, he pull, makes them pull out um, some really good songs. I remember asking Gene, uh, we were in a lobby one time and there was a group of us who were asking Gene, how come you don't play Deuce? I remember the, specifically the song Deuce. And you're saying, well, people don't know what that is. And we're like, what? <laughs> it's an awesome song. And, but they played it at Foundations Forum, got a good response, and now they play it almost every tour. Um, but anyway, the whole vibe of Foundations Forum is basically you have these crazy rock and roll people walking around. It's the business, but it's just totally out of control. The, um, the hotel staff doesn't have to be nice to you. They, they, they've just had it <laughs> by the time we got there. They're just screaming at the, the guests, just yelling at them like at the top of their lungs. It's just funny. In the restaurant, the waiters are just yelling at everybody. It's just so funny. There's, you know, there's Blackie Law. This is walking around and is not his full regalia, but he's got his chaps on. And, God, peace. And, uh, and there's like, yeah, there's Gore running around. They've got their full costumes on. There's that guy from LSD. That if you remember that band, right. um, he's like, he he stole a car and he was driving around the um, parking lot, smashing into other cars. You know, just <laughs> stuff like that was just going on constantly. But what was cool was, you know, Kiss was there, but Peter Chris was there as well. Um, and back then, we're just like, you know, I remember there was this big crowd, and there was like, you know, they're doing a lot of radio interviews and stuff. And there was like, Peter was doing one over here, and Paul and Gene were doing one over here. And you could see them both at the same time. I know that's no big deal today, but at that time, you know, 93, we're like, oh, my God, I can yeah. see Peter, Paul, and Gene at the same time right. in one room. They weren't doing anything together, but we were just like, we were like, man, we should go over to Peter and kind of start talking to him, kind of like nudge him over to Paul and Gene, and then just jump in and get a picture. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's just how crazy it was back then. It doesn't sound that crazy now, but remember back then. Remember how it was back then. Well, I think you know, the a, band had broken point, up. Yeah, too, they weren't you, together. You think about what Kiss was doing at that point. That's That Foundation Swarm is right around when they were doing the club tour for Revenge, which was Kiss yeah. on fire. I mean, oh, that was, God. by the time it was, it was May 5th, 1992, they hit the truck. And that was still, it still ranks up as I one was, of the best I shows I ever I, saw. I, I mean, there. it was just amazing. Nice. And then you figure when you think about that Foundations Forum show and you think about even what they were doing on that tour, like you said, they're pulling out songs they hadn't played in a while. And they're at the top of the game. I mean, that's really, mm -hmm. when you think about that, like 92, 93, that's, that's really kiss in fine form. That, that was, it was a good time. Yeah. I remember we had our hotel room. It was like on a mid floor. It was like at the, it's the Sheraton. I'm looking at it on here. <laughs> yeah, it was like at the the Sheraton. I guess the Sheraton, the airport. It was an airport hotel in Burbank or something. And they, uh, we had for some reason. I, I, I like, you know, I looked out of our hotel room, and there's Paul and Gene just walking down the hall. And I don't know. It was like it wasn't at the bottom. It was just like in the mid. And what are Paul and Gene doing walking around? <laughs> and the guys I was staying with, Mike and Russell, and those guys, they were friends with Paul and Gene. I was like, guys, Paul and Gene are outside. And they're like, oh. And so Mike goes out, and our friend Lisa was sleeping. Lisa's like a big Paul Stanley fan. Like the biggest Paul Stanley fan. She was Paul's pet fan for quite a while throughout <laughs> the 90s. Um, and so they run out, and I guess Russell was like, he's like, hey, uh, Gene, Paul, Gene, you know, uh, Lisa's in there. Why don't you go say hi to her? So I'm sitting there. I was like uh, just, you know, kind of taking a – rest and sitting at the table and gene comes into our hotel room which was just bizarre because it was just like a regular hotel room and you know we didn't think gene would be walking in so he's, he walks in he peeks around 
He's like, Lisa, Lisa. And she's like fast asleep. And she's like, well, she wakes up. She's like, first thing she sees when she wakes up is Gene Simmons, like looking around. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, what? Well, like she thought she was dreaming. It was like so damn funny. And just crazy stuff like that was happening like all weekend long. It was like so bizarre, so bizarre and so much fun. Um, boy, what else was happening there? Um, but really the big takeaway was their, their set list then. It was it was quite a good time. Um, yeah, that era I think is amazing. I mean, it's like really everything that led up to the revenge tour. I mean, but like the the full scale revenge tour. And you talked about that earlier with the exploding Statue of Liberty and all that. I think that was fun. But man, that club tour was off the yeah, charts. Do you remember that? Again, remember this is that club tour came out right after Revenge came. Revenge came out. There's a big vibe. It was right. like a really kick ass album compared to what. Um, they've been doing before. It was very rock and roll. Yeah, and, and there's so much energy. And they did that club tour. And remember, I think it was in Philly. There was like, how many people filling in there? Like two, three thousand, two thousand maybe, a thousand. I remember it being packed. I yeah, mean, it was like, like a, it was, it it was a club. Right. It couldn't. Yeah. It was probably a thousand. I'm yeah. exaggerating. But there was like, I remember there was. They said there was a thousand inside, but there was like a thousand people outside trying right. to get in. Mm. It was like there was such a vibe going on, and they never. Other than the Ritz show, they really hadn't done club shows before. And we were thinking to ourselves, well, my God, how incredible is this um, arena show going to be if the club tour is, has this much energy? Problem is, they waited six months before their, uh, right. for that tour. They wanted to make sure they had a big stage and had that crazy Statue of Liberty flipping the, <laughs> flipping the audience <laughs> off. And, and they just waited too long and then the energy had died down and they went on and it just didn't have, just didn't have, the shows didn't sell that well, which is unfortunate because we thought they were, oh, the kiss is back, it's going to sell out. Had that happened, like, had they done the stadium show right after the club tour, that is what would have happened. But unfortunately, it it's bad timing with the promoters, I guess. Yeah, I remember see, I saw that revenge tour at Stable Arena, like you were talking about earlier, and also in the Spectrum. That was, uh, you know, a little bit later. And the two shows were kind of spread apart, but it was nice. But I remember that revenge tour, the, even the Spectrum not being that full. And then thinking yeah. about that energy of what the truck was like, holy mackerel, that was crazy. So, yeah, good time. Totally different. Yeah, no, totally different. The opposite. Here, get no. on the mic. Don't you talking to your way off on the other side of the room, had Jerry? No stage set there at the truck. Right. right? No fire, flames, nothing, just amps and rock and roll. You know, you kind of wonder, I mean, uh, you know, you're, everybody's seeing for the end of the road this giant stage. It's massive with all the things that are moving parts and this and that and the other. But when you think about that, the truck, they didn't even have the candelabra on the stage. It literally was like just a band rolling onto the stage. And I don't, I can't really even remember a show like, I mean, other than maybe the reunion where the, like, the energy was just off the charts. Mm -hmm. it was, Crazy. And they were all like, I went to like, several of those shows yeah. uh, in New York City and everywhere else. Let me tell you something strange. I tell this to people, and they look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> but this really actually happened. Um, <laughs> there was um, on the... What was the tour that Mark Slaughter and Winger were on? So Hot in the Shade tour was... That was uh, Hot in the yeah. Shade. Okay, that wasn't Revenge, but I'm sorry to get off the subject. But um, anyway, during that tour, it was um, Slaughter and... Was it Winger, I think? You know, they, yeah, they were opening up for Kiss. So it was a three-show act. And during that tour, there was a show in, in um, Ocean City, Maryland, in a club where um, Winger and 
Slaughter played live, and Paul and Gene were upstairs signing autographs. Wow. Kiss did not play. Um, Bruce and Eric were not there. Probably secrets. But um, this was a legitimate stop on the tour. There was just a promoter yes. that came up with that. And it was like just bizarre. It's like, what the <laughs> hell is that? We were asking people, like, what is this? And they're like, uh just was what the promoters wanted. And I tell people like this, and they like, Matt's looking at me like, you're, you're never coming seems, back here. You're an you idiot. Know, I, well, I never heard that. I mean, Jerry's already telling you that, that there's no way somebody could throw a pick all the way to the, sound, the soundboard. He's over there trolling the Facebook page. But the uh, only because of the fact that usually that would be something so unique, you'd think people would probably, you know, although nobody carried a camera back then. Now everybody's got high-def cameras right. in their pocket. At that point, like, I no, have... I, I have pictures. I have... Well, see, that's, you should post all those. It's funny. I have from that Revenge, that that club tour i have like five photos from it because our friends kim and ken were standing right behind me and she couldn't it's load the film in her camera and she says i'm gonna load film in a camera boom that's how i met them so it's just nice mm -hmm. yeah but but like i said that was a legitimate a legitimate <clears throat> stop on the tour nobody believes me i was there <laughs> I, have, I have pictures still nobody believes me but i i keep saying it anyway and until somebody does well, it's, it's one of those things that sounds so unique. You'd figure everybody that was there would always post. But I was at that one where they didn't play, but they just signed autographs. Yeah, so, so it doesn't show up on when they do these official lists of all their concerts. Since Kiss right. didn't play there, it doesn't show up. But it was a stop on the tour. Wow. With their opening acts playing. That's pretty crazy. You know, it's funny that uh, Hot in the Shade tour, that was a lot of fun. I saw that at the Spectrum and at the Allentown Fairgrounds outdoor. That was a blast. Oh, you saw that show. That wow. was fun. Yeah. That was, I think it's funny. I did was they bring the monkey? Did they bring the monkey out for Allentown? <laughs> I don't remember seeing any monkey. <laughs> Although that was, place is pretty no, unique. The Sphinx. The Sphinx, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw some small shows. There was this one show I saw in <laughs> North Carolina. Dance, I don't think I ever heard it referred to as a monkey. <laughs> well, why not? It looks like a monkey. I mean, what else could it be? We were in North Carolina, and there was a show where they only had half the monkey head. It's like they didn't have the lower jaw because they couldn't fit it into this. It was like a hockey arena or something with bleachers on the side. So, you know, during God of Thunder, it didn't open up. It didn't move. But they stuck, like, the top part of it in there, which was kind of interesting. I mean, there were other shows that were smaller where they couldn't fit it in at all, I remember. See, now that's ruined forever because I will always think of it as the monkey. <laughs> Yeah, and, without, and, and, and you know, also, you know, you might have thought it was odd that there were no sunglasses on it since that was like the whole thing. Right. The cover was the Sphinx with the sunglasses. Think, oh, we're going to go and see the Sphinx with sunglasses. No sunglasses. They actually did. Um, I never saw it. Somebody told me they did see them backstage. And it was a problem. They were supposed to like fall off during, you know, because remember the lasers came out of the eyes and there was a time there, there was some explosion were going to come up. They were supposed to fall off, but they couldn't figure out a way to do it without crushing Eric. <laughs> So it was, it was kind of like, I guess the insurance company wouldn't let them do it or something, but there were actually glasses. So it was just, just the mechanics just didn't work out. If so. he had been crushed by the giant sunglasses, that would have been the best spinal yeah, tap moment was, ever. Yeah, there you go. What happened? He was crushed by giant sunglasses. <laughs> Ray Bans. <laughs> Well, you know what? Everybody needs to stay tuned at, uh, at 5 o'clock. Seriously, Zap is coming on. It's live here on Monco Radio, so you can stay tuned for that. We do have some extra time kind of to keep talking because, uh, you know, he comes on right at uh, 5 o'clock. And if you're listening, you can find that as a podcast as well right here on Monco Radio. So any, any uh, last stories you want to send us out with? you shared so many great stories. It's fantastic. I'm thrilled you'd come down and join us. Last stories. Jeez, let me think. I, I know I can come up with something here. Um Boy, who else did we? We interviewed Bill Coin in um, New York City, me and Ken Sharp. And I remember Bill was, um, you know, in the suit, tie. He doesn't like 
take it off. That's his uniform. He was right. such a cool guy. Um, so nice to us. And um, he paid for our lunch and everything. Oh, and Gene paid for our lunch too when we interviewed what? him, which is actually <laughs> actually that's, very that's the one everybody's surprised about. Actually, very kind, you know. So I, you know, so I got some money back from him actually. So uh, anyway, um, but Bill was so sweet and kind. The thing that you know, he he didn't say anything. I'm sure he said something crazy. I do remember one thing that stuck out was. He was. He told us, me and Ken. He's like, well, why do you, why do you think, uh, Kiss, uh, why do you think they still tour? And you know, I don't know if this is true or not. I think it's only partially true. But he said, you know, they don't have to. He says, or we were saying, well, they don't have to, aren't they? Like, uh, rich and stuff. He's like, no. He said there was, uh, they didn't invest their money properly. And he says, he says they're not poor. He says, but if they want to continue in the lifestyle that they want to. They have to keep working, and he says, "Yeah, they do live a rich lifestyle. They are rich, but it's like it's they have to keep working." We were like, you know, I, I've thought about that, and it's coming from Bill Coin, but I, I'm sure it's partially true. But um, it, obviously, they love what they do. I mean, they're in their 70s now, and they're they're just, you know, they're they're never going to stop. Right. And, right and you know, and again, like I, I'm sure you've talked about this, but they they people say, "Oh, it's going to be the end of Kiss at the end of this tour," and it's like Ooh. it's like no, that's like. Most of it, it's the end of touring. They're they're in their seventies. They can't right. tour anymore. But that's just going to give them other time to do other stuff. I'm like a Kiss Cruise isn't going to stop. They're they're still going to be doing a lot of stuff, if if not more, when they since they don't have touring to do. I think they just want to sleep in their own beds for once in a while. I mean, it's got to be tough. You're out on tour. You know, you're sleeping yeah. at the hotel. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, I think that's probably more than anything. At some point, you probably just want to wake up in your own house. Right. So. You know, and if they really are going to be out for three years, I mean, you guys, you play every week, and that's like, you're right around here, so right. At a hotel anyway. all alone is not a lot. <laughs> a good one. Yeah, well, you know, they say uh, you know the end of the road tour, and they say they'll never come back to this. So, so when they come to Philadelphia, that doesn't mean there's not going to be another tour where they come to Allentown one year, right? Or the Poconos one year. You know, they're they're still or Camden. You know that that mm-hmm. what is it still called PPL Center up in Allentown? That that'd be a nice venue. Yeah, yeah, PPL. That. Yeah, right. It's, so a, it's a nice venue. If they would do yeah. Stabler yeah. Arena again, that'd be perfect. You know, is Stabler Arena still around? We'll go yeah, see them there. It's you know, still there. Wow. that would have some lot of history lot of his, up there. History yeah. is the word. I saw the first um, Animalize show there in uh, 90, that's when I was a kid. Boy, I just wasn't going to miss the first Animalize show. And I couldn't find anybody to go with. I had to go by myself. I think I've told this story before, um, having to sleep in the bushes and stuff. I won't, I won't go over that again. <laughs> no, but, tell um, us that. It's a good one. <laughs> uh, well, real short, you know. Um, we have time. we got a few minutes. Uh, I've told this before. But, you know, I had been, I grew up in Virginia. And then I attended college for a while, uh, first couple of years at UNLV in Las Vegas. Then I had to move back to a real school to finish up. And, um, but in between semesters or whatever, I, I think it was over Thanksgiving or something. But anyway, I, it was, um, I had to go. This was 80, 85. I was such a big kids fan. I was so glad. Because, you know, at that time, we're thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be their last tour. Because, like, you know, they weren't as popular as they used to. And we were like, you got to see them as much as they can. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, literally, right. no. But... So I had nobody to go out with, and I'm a college student, so I'm really poor, which means I think I had a $65 budget to go, <laughs> to go from, like, northern Virginia up to um, 
Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which meant I could buy a ticket and I could buy some and a bus yeah bus ticket and a ticket to the um, show. But I had a few dollars for food and no money for a hotel and no friends to go with me to split expenses. So I was sleeping in the bushes and it was um, it was like forty degrees and raining. I remember after the show, I got to the bus station in Allentown and I hitchhiked to the arena because no money and people hitchhiked still back then yeah you don't see people hitchhiking anymore what's that about 70s were everybody would teenage girls would do it but um (laughs) anyway after the show i mean i met some cool people there i always do but you don't get to know them well enough to stay at their house right (laughs) so afterwards i had to i was waiting for the bus to glens falls was the next show glens falls new york and so I had to wait at the, the bus station didn't open until like five in the morning. So I had to, I went to the trash and I found this big plastic sheet, which I slept under because it was, you know, raining's bad and cold's bad. When it's cold and raining, it's, if it was colder and snowing, it would have been better. But cold rain was the worst. And I slept in the bushes of this um, church, I remember, waiting for the bus to take me to Glens Falls, New York to see the second show of, uh, the animalized tour, which was interesting. That show was interesting because they didn't let us in till n- nine, mm. and we wondered why. And we get in at nine, th- no nine thirty. We get in, like, why are they waiting so long to let us in? And they were just starting to set up Eric's drums, and mm. then they set up the opening band's drums, and we saw most of the stage get set up. And Kiss didn't come on until like midnight that night, because it was just you know the second night of the tour, they just didn't have the logistics of the the moving and they weren't in the groove of the roadies weren't in the groove of moving that whole show around. Wow. And it was like, they came on at midnight and played until almost two. It was, it, but they played the full set. They didn't cut anything out. And I guess they didn't have, um, a curfew. And, you know, a lot of towns have curfews, yeah. so it wouldn't have worked, but for, and, and of course I, that show sucked because I, I got sick <laughs> from sleeping in the, <laughs> sleeping outside in the winter time. Well, I'll tell you what, Peter Arquette, thanks for joining us. You can come back anytime. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're just about out of time because seriously, Zappa comes up next. I do want to send a shout out to uh, Ed from Click Tees and Joey Casada, who yeah. we had winners last month from uh, Joey Joey Casada's book. Otis Mack was the winner of that. Joe Pasolaco won a Click Tee, so they would be winner, winner, chicken dinner. There you go. We got that. The winner, winner. So look. I want to thank everybody that would join us today. Todd Howarth for calling in. Peter Arquette for joining us. Kiss from House Band off the charts as usual. Yeah. Bobby Dreyer, Harem, amazing show today. Just, it's like a double record set. You can download both this month's Harem and this month's Kiss Room. Any last minute thoughts? I want to uh, thank you know Jerry and Jim. You know I'm always throwing these obscure songs at these guys, and and they always do a great job. And, and Steve Forrest, we missed you. Yeah. And I, I think what I'm going to do. Play tambourine. I think what I'm going to do now is I'm going to have. A Steve Forrest not here set <laughs> in the wings, and then if he says he can't make it, we'll do that set. Because you know, I pick songs where you know, love and change, right? right. And then uh, tunnel of love, you know, all that stuff missing. So I've learned my lesson now. All right. Well, you know what? We're out of time because we have seriously Zappa coming up next. Thanks everybody who listened. I'm going to go with the short outro here. You're in the Kiss Room, whether you enjoyed on the download or live. Come back March 8th. We'd love to hear from you. Join us in the Facebook group, and we'll talk to you then.
something. You know, a lot of bands like to brag about their fans. Now, naturally, you better believe we brag about you, but we want you to know something. We want you to know, we know that you are our fans, but don't you ever forget, we are your fans, we love you! Thank you for listening to The Kiss Room. Stay tuned to Montco Radio. Any last minute crazy things you want to say to conform with expectations? No, but I will say something to anybody out there that's, you know, the weird guy or the weird girl that always has the weird things that they do that their friends put them down for. Don't think it's so weird. Maybe someday somebody will let you give you the chance to make a living out of it. You just stick to it. You'd be weird. <laughs>